Well, good morning, everyone. Glad to see you all again, and thank you for the prayers. I uh, fell quite ill last Saturday night, and was kind of bedridden until Tuesday, so thank you for your prayers, and by God's grace, I'm back to pretty much full strength at this point, and uh, so thank you. Thank you again for that. Our passage for this morning is Romans chapter 2, verse 17 to 29. As I stated two weeks ago, the sermon was really one sermon into two parts, and here we now have the second part. And we ended the first part with verse 16, which states, On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. We must keep this in mind as we examine this passage as well this morning, that that line is very important for our understanding. That Paul, by the authority of Jesus Christ, has indeed been placed as the judge over our salvation. That is, Jesus Christ has been placed over our the judge as our salvation. And Romans 2 is leading up to this famous line in Romans 3, which is, none is righteous, no, not one. And so we finish this build-up this morning. Who is it that can stand before uh, the judgment of God? Who can stand before a holy and blameless king in judgment? And Paul's point, we will see, is very simple. It does not matter what works you do if your heart is not right with God. But if your heart is right with God, your actions will align more and more with the spirit of truth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for this time in which we have to gather as saints with one another. We pray, Lord, that you'd be so merciful to us this morning and that you would cleanse us afresh. Lord, if we say that we have no sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our iniquities and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we we pray that you would forgive us our sins this morning. And Lord, we also pray for those things that have been brought forward to us uh, as a church. First and foremost, we pray for Sarah as she continues to struggle with much pain with her hip, her knee, her her back, all all the areas in her body, Lord. We pray for healing. Lord, we pray for Mick and Laura and the children as they are away today and have been struggling with sicknesses. And we pray as it seems to be kind of that time of year again, Lord, the flu season. We pray for all those who have been struggling with sicknesses over the last few weeks. We pray for their healing, Lord. We also give thanks and praise for the work you have done in uh, Carol's life in Mexico, Dave's sister. We, we give thanks for what you're doing there. We give praise for last week's service, as I, I hear that there was a large bounty of, uh, of saints gathered last week, and the, it was so wonderfully joyful as I was sitting upstairs ill, I could hear the laughter and the joy that was manifesting in the building. And it just shows the culture that you are germinating here in this church, Lord. So we give 
thanks for, for that. We give thanks for those who are not with us this morning that are absent for various reasons, and we pray that you would so graciously keep them and comfort them and uh, make them walk right in your statutes, Lord. Lord, as we come to the Word this morning, I pray that you would exposit it, help me exposit the Word aright, and that anything that is not from you would fall on deaf ears, Lord, and that only the name of Christ would be glorified. And Lord, if for any unspoken prayer requests, we lift them up to you now at this time, we pray that you would so willingly and graciously grant us our, our prayers, and as we know, you grant us things that we need, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, the small and the large. So we pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen. Romans 2, verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew, and rely on the law, and boast in God, and know his will, and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law. And if you are assured that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teaches others, do you not teach yourself while you preach against stealing, do you steal? Let's unpack these first five verses here. First, we have a man who calls himself a Jew. And if he is a Jew, he is relying on law and God, it seems, for justification. Is that true? Well, if we think back to verse 12 and 16, it states, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. We established two weeks ago that no man can keep the law entirely. So the question that verse 17 raises is, do we depend on God and the law for our justification? Or do we depend on God alone for our justification? Then we have verse 18, and no his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. Whose will this is, is, is God's will. So if you say you are a Jew and hold to both the justification by works and by faith in God, you then would approve what is good and what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And then verse 19 says, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. So now we have, if your assurance is in the law and in God, then you would be a light to those in darkness, those who are blind. And verse 20, and then an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment 
of knowledge and truth. So if you are justified by the law, then you should have perfection in teaching the word and proclaiming the word. If it's justification by God and works, then you have perfected the law. But then we have verse 21. You then who teaches others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? But by the very fact that you are subject to the law, you cannot be justified by the law. For you, if, if you instruct the law, and yet you fail to uphold the law, how then can you be justified by the law? And Paul will now emphasize the hypocrisy of this statement in verse 22. You who say that one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. If you boast in the law, if you boast in justification by both God and the law, then you dishonor God because we cannot perfect the law. Therefore, as Paul will continue on to say, justification must only come from God. Salvation is from Christ alone. It cannot come from God and works. Because if that were true, then man would be able to stand blameless before God by practicing the law. And this would ultimately undermine the works of Christ. It would mean that his, his works were not needed. Which Jews, Romans, Roman Catholics... Seventh-day Adventists, and so on, this is, what, this is what they say by adhering to these practices still. They undermine the work of Christ, because by saying one is justified by God and by works, is to say that Christ's work is not totally sufficient for salvation. Now our sanctification, we work with the Spirit in submission to the Holy Ghost. And in the same way a man leads his wife, we participate in sanctification by obedience to what Christ has commanded us, by the power of the Holy Ghost dwelling within us. But it is ultimately the Spirit of God moving in us that spurs us forward to obedience in Christ. But our justification is strictly by the work of Christ Jesus on Calvary's hill. And our sanctification is our will in subjection to the will of God. Though both wills are present in the sanctification, ours is the one submitting to the will of God. And verse 25, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Paul's point here is circumcision is only valuable if you can keep the entire law top to bottom. 
The justification by the law only stands if you can keep the entire thing. But because of man's wicked nature, which Paul will get into later in Romans, because of the inherited sin nature, we cannot keep the law top to bottom. Therefore, we cannot be justified by the works of the law, by our works of the law, specifically. Verse 26, so if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? So if a man is able to keep the precepts, then he will be justified. So when we talk about the precepts, Paul is talking about the reasons why the law of God was instituted in the first place. Remember, there are two greatest commandments that summarize all of the law and the prophets. As Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40 states, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now the precepts are listed. Love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. By loving God and neighbor, you fulfill the law. And it is counted as righteousness by grace through faith, not by works in order that none may boast. So even though a man may be uncircumcised by the flesh, if he is circumcised in the heart, because he keeps not the law itself, but he holds to the two things that were the precepts, which are his faith, that we might love God and love neighbor, then he is justified. Verse 27, then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. Therefore, the man who loves his God above all else and loves his neighbor as himself keeps the entire law. And this man will condemn those who keep the written code but break the law. The written code is these customs of cleanliness, as well as these additional rules that people like the Pharisees were implementing. Yet those men will be condemned even though they had the written code, even though they had circumcision of the flesh, they did not have circumcision of the heart. Even though they had the covenant between Abraham and God, they only had it of the flesh. Verse 28, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Now to unpack this a little bit, when we 
think of circumcision, we must think of Abraham and the covenant made between Abraham and God. And it was said of Abraham in Galatians, this is Galatians 3, verse 2 to 9, if you'd like to turn your Bibles there to follow along. Galatians 3, verse 2 to 9. It says this, beginning at verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So as we covered last week, Christ judges the heart of men. So those who are saved are saved by Christ, showing grace and mercy unto us. And in the same way, Abraham was not justified by the works themselves. He was justified by faith, by the grace through faith, not by works, which he had in this one who was to come in his case, and now who we know as the everlasting Lord Jesus Christ. Our justification truly does come from the Lord. How then do we reconcile Galatians 3 with something like James 2 and Romans 4? They also bring up these conversations again. So let's turn to James chapter 2 in your Bibles, verse 14 to 26. Is this a contradiction in this passage, or is there something else going on here? James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We just established the precepts of the law which are loving God and loving neighbor. Those two things is what the faith revolves around. So James is saying here, how can you say that I am justified 
by my faith when I love God, but I do not love my neighbor. The precepts are two commandments. Your faith is not just a spiritual faith. It is not isolated to the realm of the spiritual. The spiritual and the physical are distinct, but they are joined together. We cannot say truly that we worship Christ, who was of spirit and flesh, if we do not offer both spirit and flesh. The reason I was overweight when I first came here to Sunderland was because that was an area of my life where I was in perpetual sin, unrepentant, that I was not offering in faithful obedience to the Lord. And now here we are, 40 pounds later, by God's grace, dealing with this sin in my life slowly and steadily and graciously, and some days very difficultly, dealing with the sin of gluttony. Verse 18 of James 2, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Therefore, if there truly has been a change, if we truly have been justified in our hearts, if we have been saved, by the grace of God, by the mercy of God. That faith will not remain in a spiritual realm only. There will be a physical change that goes along with it. It could be in your action, like your behavior. could be even the words you say. Maybe like myself, you needed to repent because you were in perpetual gluttony. But then we come to this this neighbor point once again. So love your neighbor as yourself. So yourself first and foremost, but then your, your neighbor, loving them as yourself. And this is Paul's point when he's getting to the hypocrites in Romans 2. How can we say one thing and not do the thing? If you say that God is one, but you forget about your neighbor, and this is the point in James as well, which again, who is your neighbor biblically? We talked about that. Who, who is the, the first and primary group that you should be dealing with? Those in your same geography, the same ethnicity or tribe or your household, so to speak, and the same faith. A faith without these works is useless, James says. Our faith must transcend outwardly in word and deed as well. It is not just to be internal. It is supposed to transcend externally. In verse 21 of James 2, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his own son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. 
So Abraham didn't just say he would follow the Lord. He followed the Lord in action. There was a physical reality that manifested in his faith. Our faith is not just a Sunday morning singing songs or coming and saying a prayer or having a thought. There is something that we are called to do that is greater and our faith needs to be reflective of that. And if the, que- the question is, if your actions do not reflect that, and this is what James raises, as well as in Romans it is raised, do you actually have genuine faith? The genuine works come because of true faith in the work of Christ. Christ both loved God and loved neighbor. I've stated this before and I'll say it again. Galatians 6 makes it clear that a man's salvation is individual, but his faith is corporate. His works show his faith. His fruits show whether he has the fruits of the Spirit or of Satan. It is not by crossing your T's and dotting your I's that you are saved. But your faith is not just a spiritual faith. It is a spiritual and physical faith because we are spiritual and physical beings. The precepts are loving God and loving neighbor as we love ourselves. As James said, how can you say you are a faithful believer in Christ when brother or sister is starving without clothes? And we say, go in peace. The physical manifestation of good works is a spiritual revelation that someone possesses strong faith. This is where we as a church body in Sunderland need to start taking this into consideration. First and foremost, how is the house to your left doing? And how is the house to your right doing? I asked this question a few weeks ago when it came to someone's spiritual care, but now I'm asking regarding to their physical needs. How is the house to your left doing? And how is the house to your right doing? Our faith should transcend in both areas. It should not just be bound to the spiritual. And it should not just be bound to the physical. If it's just bound to the physical, Paul makes it clear in Romans 2. You don't have genuine faith. You're not circumcised by the heart. You don't have genuine faith. But James makes it clear, unless you're also providing this faithfulness to act, your faith is a dead faith. It must be a faith that is both spiritually and physically worshipping Christ. In verse 23 of James, And the scripture 
was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Again, he's not talking about the works of the law. He's talking about the precepts, which are to love God and love neighbor. So that means there is a faithful action that we must take in our family, in our household, ensuring that it's in order to our neighbor, to those in our community. It is required of us. It is a part of our faith. It is not separate from our faith. It is a part of our faith. In verse 25, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We are not Gnostics. As we covered this in our church history class, our faith is to transcend in spirit and body, which means our spiritual worship will manifest itself physically. And to Paul's point in verse 28 and 29 of our Romans 2 passage, he says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. If the work has been done inwardly, it will transcend outwardly. The physical without the spiritual is meaningless. It's useless, James says. And the spiritual without the physical is dead. Paul in Romans 2 says it can't just be a physical worship. It has to be spiritual as well. And James says it can't just be a spiritual worship. It has to be physical as well. They are dealing with two different sides of the same coin. But it begins in the heart. When Christ decided, as it says in verse 16, to judge us with mercy instead of wrath. For he sees the hearts of men and judges them. And therefore, walking in faithful obedience to this love, walking in faithful obedience to this love is our charge. Both love for God and love for neighbor. This is the faith. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word this morning, this challenge this morning, reconciling the passages of Scripture with one another. 
we know that we are not saved by checking off boxes. But we know a part of our faith is indeed things that you have commanded us to do in the physical world. But it starts in the heart, Lord. It starts in our very heart, unless we have been circumcised of the heart. then our works are useless. So Lord, I pray for this congregation this morning, first and foremost, that if they are not truly circumcised in the heart by the Spirit, that they would welcome your Spirit today, Lord, into their lives. And secondly, Lord, if they have truly been circumcised of the heart, how can then we say that we have faith and yet we do not act it outwardly in word and deed also? The faith in which you have charged us with is one of thought, word, and deed loving God above all else, and loving neighbor as oneself. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we would understand that truly, and that would be written on our hearts this morning, that we would understand as we have been justified by Christ, That we were unable to keep the entire law. But Lord, that we would understand that that does not mean we are not concerned with in our faith about the commandments in which you have told us to go. To feed the hungry. To shelter those in our neighborhood. To ensure that our People in our household who God has given us charge are doing well, first and foremost. That our neighbor to our left and to our right are doing well also. So Lord, I pray that by your grace you would give us strength to live out faithful obedience in thought, word, and deed. And that our faith, that we would understand our faith is more than just belief in the heart. It starts there, as your scriptures say. But it does not end there, Lord. And so, so graciously, I pray that we as a church body, myself included, that we would continue to walk in greater faithfulness of an outward faith to our neighbor, which ultimately is coming back to glorify you, O Lord.
And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.